Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA. That's Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we have got an odd, repetitive show lined up for you. The great James Jackson Jr. from the amazing Pulitzer and Tony Award winning A Strange Loop uh, is a friend of mine through my partner and was so gracious this summer, along with many of his castmates, to be part of our post-show talkback that we had as part of our summer masterclass week. Um, so, so fun to get to chat with him. Uh, today on the show, we got into all kinds of good stuff, like survival jobs and cabarets and the journey of a strange loop. Do we talk about the Sarah Porkolov controversy? We sure do. Uh, and of course, a ridiculous game, because we just can't help ourselves. Um, but before we kick it to James... I just want to wish a very happy Thanksgiving to all of you, our wonderful audience, from me and from Megan, who's not here with us today, even though she's listening to this as she edits this, but Megan's sending her love as well. Um, and everyone at MTCA, we're just sending so much love to all of you. We, we appreciate you taking this journey with us and are grateful for your eyes and your ears and, of course, your ratings and reviews when you do those. Yes, I'm talking to you. Why haven't you rated us and reviewed us yet? Aren't you grateful for us too? But in all seriousness, I know the holidays can be a little tough for some people. Um, probably not as much for our high school students, I hope, knock on wood, um, who are hopefully earning a little bit of much-needed rest, um, especially if those of you who are late for pre-screen seasons, get those turned in, get them in. Um, but I know with our students in college and out uh, of college who are kind of dealing with the first travel difficulties and all that comes with, as well as some of our older listeners who may be dealing with some of that second adolescence awkwardness that coming home to your parents as a single person especially can be really tricky. Um, and I know um, I talked about a little bit in terms of the, uh, our family therapy. It's something my family is really struggling with right now as we try to integrate two different families really in my case it's like many different families because my family's a divorced and then we have in-laws and now we have a new baby and what are all the different divisions and how does that all go with everyone and where do we all fit in the world um you know because mostly it's just everyone wants to hang out with my adorable baby who wouldn't um but for this holiday we are heading to my in-laws uh and the first time that whole side of the family will get to be together um especially since Solvath was born um we were gonna get together all last christmas but covid ruined that christmas i call it bahumbomicron um but i am really looking forward to some good food and some family and hopefully a bit of rest and i wish that for all of you as well 
And as we look forward to our next holiday break coming up not so far from now, please feel free to shoot us any comments, questions, etc., fun musings. If you've written a poem, please shoot that to us at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com. That's mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com. All of those words spelled out. Um, as we're planning to do our first big mailbag show over the winter break. We have some great stuff that's already come in, but I also want to throw anything. It could be stuff that's really time of year relevant, general thoughts you've had from the podcast, or just life musings that you want to write into our show. You want some advice from us? You know, Megan will give you fashion advice advice, whatever you want to do. Um, Now, unbuckle that top strange loop on your belt and get ready for the great James Jackson Jr. Well, we are honored to have James Jackson Jr. on the podcast today. Uh, James has a BA in music education from Westfield University. Um, He's an actor and cabaret artist. As an actor, he's been on Broadway in A Strange Loop, the 2022 Tony Award winning show. <laughs> um, also the national tour of Whistle Down the Wind, off-Broadway shows like Wild Party, Hair, Cake, lots of cabaret work. You'll see him at Joe's Pub, at Green 42, I think, we, Green Room 42, I think we have something coming up there, mm-hmm. 54 Below. He's been in the Radio City Christmas Spectacular. Um, and I also know no stranger to the podcast interview world as he hosted some of our favorite special guests on Five Questions with James and Jam um, yes. as well. So. So um, welcome on the pod, James. How you doing? Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'm at home, so I'm just I'm very calm and yes, zen there's a, today. There's lushness for those not watching the YouTube here. There's lushness. Um, all <laughs> greenery surrounds James um, in sort of a jungle habitat. The secret is it's all fake. All fake. That's the way These to do it. Fake plants. Fake grass. Oh, yep. Elizabeth would kill me. Would kill me if I suggested a fake plant in our home. Target sells it, so shouldn't I buy it? That's right. That's right. That's the job. You're doing the job. If they're I'm selling your pine. I'm doing the Lord's work. I'm just a, I'm just a vessel. It's not I'm, me. It's the Lord. I'm going to dive you in with the first question I ask basically all of our guests is just to take us back a little bit. You okay. know, we want to hear a little about your journey, especially from James, the young person, <laughs> starting to consider, I do. I might want to go into this theater. I don't know if you knew at 16, 17, or if you're looking at colleges, um, but kind of from that high school time through the college, what, what made you go... I want to get this education as a way to potentially pursue this career, whatever that career was. I was, so I had been playing, my, I took, my mother played the piano and was a bit of a child piano prodigy herself before mm-hmm. she became like a scientist doing cancer research, which is a weird mm-hmm. jump. But because she could play the piano, I, at a very young age, was immediately jealous and wanted to do everything she could do. Mm-hmm. So she started me with, she started to teach me and realized she's not a, piano teacher. So she got me a piano teacher probably around five years old, I started. But I was also um, growing up in New England in a predominantly Jewish town in uh, just south of uh, Boston. Mm-hmm. And I was the only black kid in my neighborhood where my mother's this like well-to-do scientist at Children's Hospital. <laughs> and we're a weird family that stuck out in mm-hmm. 1970s, 80s. Randolph, Massachusetts. So I was a little bit, I also had this very high voice that I would oftentimes get made fun of for. So I was doing everything I could to not stick out and be weird and be uh-huh. a geek or nerd or or other bad words. <laughs> um, so I didn't tell anyone I was studying piano lessons ever. Mm-hmm. I told my best friend, Carrie, and she knew I was still taking piano lessons through high school and people did not know. At all. I was ashamed of it. I did not talk about it. It's such a weird secret hobby. Like, this is not what you think of as like, I'm ashamed of my piano. I totally was. I totally was. Tickling the ivories. I 
I guess I could kind of sing. My mom could kind of sing. So also in the interest of me doing everything that my mother did, she did cancer research, yes, but she also smoked. Mm-hmm. So I um, secretly was smoking. I was secretly oh. playing the piano, secretly smoking, and I Helping got lower caught. The voice. <laughs> I got caught one day in high school doing two things in the bathroom, singing and smoking. <laughs> and this was my junior year of high school. So I'm trying to like figure out what I'm supposed to go off to college and study and major in and whatever. And I got caught smoking and singing in the bathroom. And the teacher gave me two an option. You can go to the principal's office because you were smoking and singing mm-hmm. in the bathroom. Um, you should be in class. Or you can go join the choir, join the uh-huh. chorus downstairs. So I chose, I'm not going to the principal's office. I'm going to go sure. join the chorus. And I found all of my people. Like the other Mm -hmm. freaks, the other people who were ashamed of my voice is too high or too low or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they had been made fun of as well. But I found these people who were like, come on in. Mm -hmm. And I started comfortably singing and not being ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. I started being able to tell people, hey, I take piano lessons on Tuesday at at 3.30, so I Mm -hmm. can't do whatever. Um, Or I have rehearsal became a thing. Mm -hmm. And I could comfortably say that. So I didn't, I guess I did realize, oh, this is something I showed up there and I started getting parts in things. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's what that means? That's how that works? I didn't realize this was also something you could major in. I knew my mom had done this when she was a child, but she didn't go off to college or grad school and major in anything music oriented. Totally. Um, so I started to realize, oh, this is something I could study. I had uh, my chorus teacher, we were her first class out of grad school. So you know, I'm 17 years old. She was really only what, 25, 26 at the time. Mm -hmm. So this was the coolest thing in the world to me that someone who had just studied this thing that I'm just learning you could study was cool. And like leading this group. Um, I did show choir things all in my junior and senior year of high school and then decided to major in music, but not as a performer. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah, so at 16, 17, you're thinking, it's because I'm gonna go be that choir teacher. I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna, I wanna go be the choir teacher. Great, so and take, take me a little through the college journey of like, so was it in college, was it out of college? When did you say, hey, I might move to New York City and think about acting? Uh, being more in tune with my fear, <laughs> I decided, oh, too scared to go perform, so I'm gonna stick with, I'm not a music performance major. Um, I'm going to be a music teacher, so I must be a music education major, um, an education major who's concentrated in music, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, um, and studying opera and classical music and things like that, and doing theater stuff like in the club that we had on campus. So I did all of the things. I started to look for schools to student teach at in my senior year. Um, I had friends at this point who were upperclassmen when I was younger and they had now gone off to New York and they were horrible performers or not horrible. They just, it wasn't working out for them. Just horrible people. It was just, they were just, (laughs) they were good people, but the the acting thing wasn't working out. Mm -hmm. The thing that they left New York and we all wish that they left Massachusetts and we wish them all well in New York to do wasn't working. I knew a lot of unhappy waiters and waitresses. Mm -hmm. Um, so I didn't want to do that because I was scared of that didn't compute to me. You study for four years, you should be able to then go to work for mm-hmm. all of the years. Mm-hmm. So I graduated. Um, I had an option of staying on to student teach, but I also encountered a lot of now unhappy teachers. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to just get a job. I'm not going to go to New York and do mm-hmm. like that thing. Um, I got a job working for the Screen Actors Guild in Boston, like immediately after college. Mm-hmm. 
And this was around the time of like, they're filming things like Goodwill Hunting and all of these films that like we st- now know. As, James like, is aggressively dating himself. He keeps doing it. I'm trying, I'm trying to cut these out of the pot. He's saying 70s and 80s, Goodwill Hunting. I, I just mean, turned 47 years old last week. What a time. I'm owning all. Well, because next year I'm going to start subtracting anyway. So I feel like yeah. I should might as, well, I might as well start talking about it now. That's right. Um, but I got a job working at the Screen Actors Guild in Boston which really handled all of New England. And it was AFTRA and the Screen Actors Guild. Mm-hmm. They were a joint office. They were not joined as a union yet. So I was the payroll department. I did that for six or seven years after oh. college and learned about contracts and how actors and performers should negotiate things and be paid. And I handled all of their payroll and kept that together. How do you get from there to here? How did we get from there to be a cabaret artist and an actor and all these amazing things. And they're making your Broadway debut at 45 or whatever. What's cool in, in Boston, in most of New England, all of the theater stuff didn't rehearse during the day. Mm-hmm. So I could work this amazing nine to five job, learn mm-hmm. about contracts and learn how to stick up for myself as a performer and then do theater that rehearsed at 5.30 yes. p.m. And you do the show at night. So I learned how to do things that way. There's great theater in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, like I worked at Speakeasy Stage, um, the Lyric Theater Company. So there's amazing, amazing, the Wheelock Family Theater is there. Um, there's so much stuff going on in Boston. And then after the six or seven years that I was there, a weird thing happened where I got something called laid off. Mm-hmm. And I, so you're telling a 26, 27-year-old, hey, um, here's what a, a <laughs> what was, here's what severance pay might be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, I want to come to work tomorrow. And they were like, no, 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 you can't. The job work, the position is not going to exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's a thing called severance pay where you can either take a big lump sum of money or for almost the next full two years, you can have a paycheck every week, Uh your actual paycheck that you've been getting, you'll get paid for. It was almost like a year and 10 months. Mm -hmm. You'll be getting paid what your salary was every week. And I was like, what you free money? I just, they were like, well, you've worked for all of these years here. You're entitled to this. Uh-huh. So I took that money and I moved to New York and I had a paycheck for almost the first two years that I was here coming from my former job. So cool. And what what were your parents like at the time? So like maybe especially going into college, but you know, then especially if you're saying, no, I do want to move to New York at 29 or whatever. My dad uh, is completely like self-made man. He ran away from North Carolina when he was like 15 or 16 years old and came to Boston and started a barbershop. He was a beautician. And uh, like a just self-made businessman who had his little barbershop that did well. And then he bought the store. Then he mm-hmm. bought the block of stores that his shop was on. Um, totally self-made. And my mom is this scientist um, doing cancer research at Children's Hospital and like working with all these like r- brilliant minds coming up with uh, cancer medications. So they wanted me, of course, my dad was like, I want you to go be a lawyer or something. And my mom thought like, well, he kind of likes the arts. So may, may, like be an English teacher or study mm-hmm. study mm-hmm. something that's really grounded like that but when i presented this idea of i think i actually want to study music my mom was happy there's also there was a small question mm-hmm. mark but i needed to prove that if that's what i'm going to do i have to be the best at it uh-huh. so okay i'm going to study music why well i just joined this thing in high school and look what i've done i've gotten you know i got the solo in this i got some scholarships from them too um I get to college and I can say, okay, well, I want to, I'm studying classical music. I'm studying like Schubert and all of these song cycles and learning German things and whatever. Um, 
but if I'm singing with the the Westfield Symphony, uh, I better have the best solo. Mm-hmm. So I had to present that I'm doing best the best work. It sounds just like my father, James. He's like, well, yeah. if you're not if you're not the lead, then what are you doing in the show? It right, like, exactly. You gotta, exactly. You gotta be proving so, that you are the person in and title it, it building. Seemed to are be you Julius Caesar out. in Julius Caesar? Yeah. Right, right, right. So it seemed to be working out. Um, I and I got to do these amazing things. Our choir in college went to Carnegie Hall. Well, you better have a solo there. Mm-hmm. Great. So now I'm you know twenty years old singing a solo at Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, you better just be the best. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be, I think that probably stemmed from childhood too. Of like, if you're going to be the only one, you better be. I always say in my cabaret act, I'm always like, if you're going to, she told me, if you're going to be the only one, be the onlyest. Be, be like the best only you can be. Um, mm-hmm. So I sort of mastered that at a young age. And I think I just kind of took that with me everywhere I was going. Everywhere I was going, there was no one who looked like me. Uh-huh. Um, so I just kept doing that over and over. I showed up in Western Massachusetts in the Berkshires in complete like earthy, crunchy Birkenstock uh-huh. Central and said, no, I'm here and uh-huh. I'm going to do, I can sing Schubert, but I can also, I feel like, aren't there some black composers we should be studying as well? Mm-hmm. So I got to sort of educate my very, very white music department at the time in the, in the mid nineties and introduce composers like William Grant Still um, and just like uh, other works that they might not have taught uh, as part of their curriculum. And if I'm going to do that, I have to be really good at it. Yes. So I was just kind of in practice rooms, like perfecting things. I mean, it seems like the epitome of a big fish in a smaller pond. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it didn't seem like that education was going to feel like it was like, you know, hardcore conservatory style, you know, acting, singing, dancing. I love that it was very liberal arts. I love that Mm -hmm. I learned, I still believe in this philosophy today. I, I, I'm so glad that I got to learn a little bit of everything mm-hmm. because I've needed to use a little bit of everything to do anything. Mm. Um, it's, it's still the truth. I, I, the, all of the work that I did working on contracts helped me as recently as negotiating my contract for Broadway uh-huh. right now because I, I, I read the fine print uh-huh. and I, I understand the fine print. Um, it's so smart. And what about some of those specific, you know, as we talk about maybe the three disciplines of musical theater, especially, mm. you know, as acting, singing, dancing, as you left school, was there anything that you felt like you wanted to keep doing to pursue your education? Was there one of the legs of the stool that you said, I need a little more acting, a little more Absolutely. dance? Absolutely. Initially, you know, so I'm, I'm there studying music education and with a focus in classical music. So, and I knew that I would, if I and become a teacher, I'm going to have to go to graduate school very soon anyway. So uh-huh. I might as well start auditioning for graduate school programs. Uh-huh. And I'm auditioning and going in and singing these arias. And and all the while, you know, I've been dabbling in musical theater in, with the club in college. Now after college, right after college, and I'm working at the Screen Actors Guild, I'm doing theater, doing getting my first paycheck, which was probably like, I think I got like $75 a week mm. in some like music, Gershwin But this is in the you. 30s, so that was like was, a lot more <laughs> money back then, right? This was in the Great Depression, and I, I remember I remember I was good. in the back of my wagon, and they I'm paid on you my onions, wagon. you just said, eat the onion. Like. <laughs> but I remember I was also studying with great classical voice teachers. There's a guy named Robert Honeysucker, which is an amazing name. Mm-hmm. He was this amazing <laughs> classical baritone who looked like me. And he taught mm-hmm. at the Longy School of Music in Cambridge, which is this very hoity-toity um, classical music school in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I was like, there's a black guy who's mm-hmm. teaching voice there? I must study with him. And he was getting me ready for auditions for graduate school. 
And I had this amazing, the audition that did it for me was at uh, New England Conservatory. And there was, you know, you go in and it's very much like flash dance, which is definitely dating myself, where there's a group of people at a long table and you walk into this long hall room and you're very scared and sweating and you're, I'm there to sing my Mozart and my, my whatever. Mm -hmm. And I do it. And there was a, of the adjudicators there, there was an older, obviously gay black man who was one of them. I cannot remember his name, and I know that I have it somewhere here, and I have to find it. I think about him all of the time. But you got to meet with them afterwards. Mm -hmm. And by now, I've learned about like musical theater stuff, and I've learned what it might take to be an opera singer mm -hmm. and the discipline that might be involved in that. I've learned what it might be to just go be the, the music teacher in a small town. And this old, old, old man, he sat me down, and I remember he had a little cup of tea with him. And he just pulled me aside, and he said, I don't think you want to be here. Hmm. And I was like, I... I, I no, I do. I very much would like to be a part of New England Conservatory. I promise. Like, I swear, I swear. And he said, no, no, I think there's, I hear it in your voice. There's something else that you want to do. Mm. And that was all he said to me. Mm. He didn't really expand on it. Yep. I, I think he could see that there were a lot of little things that I liked doing, mm -hmm. whether it was the storytelling that I was fascinated with learning these arias. And they, I was fascinated that the teachers were not teaching you about how to tell the story maybe with your body or things like that. They were just teaching you the techniques of how to sing the song, mm -hmm. um, which I loved. And they're great foundations for what I'd still do in musical theater. But I wanted to learn how to interpret the story. I loved mm -hmm. that. Not that the opera singer was belting the high B. I loved that she was doing it while draped across a couch, having mm -hmm. some dramatic moment. I wanted uh, that connection of things was so important to me. And I think I was bringing some of that to maybe arias that didn't, need it uh -huh. but he saw something in me that i'm i'm very glad he pointed out and pulled me aside and told me thank god he did yeah you you yeah. those little moments of gratitude something something just that simple just a gentle push in I the right direction where you go i still think oh, about it to this day that ripples uh, onward um talk to me a little bit about okay so now you're 27 28 mm -hmm. um you're moving to New York City with blessedly yeah. with some survival job money, so you don't need yeah. to immediately go yeah. get wait tables. But I imagine you don't come with an agent. I imagine nope. you you know you're not a 22 year old right out of school doing a showcase. Nope. You know, so how are you then trying to hit the ground running and kind of because many of our students, you know, many of our students will end up going to really big fancy BFAs mm -hmm. and graduate with all, but many not too. Many will end up pursuing liberal arts educations and then say, I want to go try to figure out how to be an actor. How do you do that? When you show up to the city with a bus ticket and, and, a, and a dream, <laughs> right, right, with my with my hat box, mm -hmm. um, you literally, there's never been an instance where you don't have to pound the pavement. Mm -hmm. You have to pound the pavement, uh, so you go to every audition possible. And are you talking open calls? Like, so what? What is the? If we get a little granular with open pound the pavement, what what am I pounding? So I'm not equity. So this was in the days of you're not even allowed in the the building yep. really. Yep. <laughs> um, so you're waiting in that McDonald's mm -hmm. or what was the McDonald's. And they throw um, stuff at you. you. Could, I know you could pee like... in the McDonald's Oof. and there was always, I remember, and she's still a friend of mine. There's a, uh, uh, a girl named Canova, who's still a very dear friend of mine, but we met in the non-equity, the unofficial mm. list line. Mm. Those things are true. Those stories exist of there's some sheet of paper duct taped to the front door <laughs> of 528th Avenue. Just or, on the McDonald's uh, bathroom. Right, <laughs> right. Or of, of the equity officers. Of, yep. Someone had brought masking tape and a piece of single-spaced rule, mm. single spaced college mm. ruled paper and taped it to the door. 
and wrote Canova Johnson. And mm. she was always number one. She's probably mm. in line for some non-equity audition now. She's she's fully equity, but she's probably in line early. Now, she would be there at sunrise. Mm. And if you were number two or three on the list, which was sometimes me, you would meet her. Mm-hmm. And then you, okay, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to go warm up in the McDonald's bathroom. Mm-hmm. You watch my stuff because if they let you in, they're going to obviously let me in. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of that. And it didn't, and again, if you're using all of the skills of all of the things that you have been through thus far, you're probably not going to have to do this for too long. Mm-hmm. So I just started to, and I, I, didn't think I had the luxury of like turning things down. There were a lot of people I would meet who were like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I will. So mm-hmm. I did a lot. And at that time also that we weren't having all these conversations about diversity and, 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 and inclusion. And there were regional theaters doing probably the same production of Smokey Joe's cafe uh-huh. all over the place in 2000 to like two or three, maybe I probably did, six or seven of them. Uh-huh. Um, but I started getting work immediately. And the first, one of the first things I got was in this nightclub up in Harlem, there was a review that someone was doing called you must take the a train. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got a job singing in that show. Then I started, uh, I got some jobs at the Bucks County playhouse, the old school Buck, Bucks mm-hmm. County playhouse, um, which then meant you could work at the Pocono playhouse, which meant, and it just started to work, but it always took pounding the pavement. Right. At what point are you now getting a little help? Are you getting an agent pretty soon? Is it still a lot of years no, before no, that? No, absolutely not. Are you not. turning equity? How, how, how long? Because we're going to take you through this journey. We're at 45, 46. You're about to make this Broadway debut. How do we get up the ladder to that place? You know, the, so the non-equity things, the regional things, the umpteenth productions of the same show over and over where, you know, now I'm not getting paid $75 a week. I'm probably getting like maybe like 300 mm-hmm. Ooh, mm. um, Call me crazy. But I was using, I think I was getting, when I look back, I think I was getting those jobs because of the muscles that I had worked out studying classical music and studying opera and studying uh-huh. how to be kind of an athlete here because I could show up and was sort of a workhorse vocally so it was like oh get that James guy is pointing to his throat for those who to are listening throat. to the podcast this is where he's an athlete <laughs> or he's was like you know, now, it's now sort of I'm like elderly. a bicep we're seeing a bulge come out <laughs> as he flexes his throat muscle as now it turns into flab um mm. but i think i was good at what i could do so i kept getting work and mm. if it was repeat work it was still work so i'm building mm-hmm. relationships uh i and i would also when i didn't have the performing job to do i had this other background of all this office work this administrative Uh work so i would if i knew it we work in an industry where on the first day of work you know when the last day of work is Uh so while i'm doing the first day of work i'm already reaching out to people to try to secure work for the last day of work and that's what you're doing you're doing you continued admin work or payroll absolutely absolutely so I got a job working for, there was a company called Plum Benefits mm-hmm. and they were sort of like a knockoff of broadway.com or something like that. They just gave, they would contact HR people at different companies around the tri-state and offer them discount tickets to Broadway shows, sporting events, things like that. And I went in probably also a little older than uh-huh. most of the people who worked in the call center. And on the second day working there was asked like, hey, we need someone to manage the call center. And you seem like the, actually, you just seem like the oldest. So uh-huh. you want to do it. So I managed to call. Yes, something. I am. I was born yeah. in the thirties. Of yeah, course. I'm yeah. the oldest. So yeah. <laughs> there I was. Um, and I, the office was across the street from Ripley Greer from 528th uh-huh. Avenue. 
So I said, okay, am I going to take this office job? Mm, yeah. Uh, the non-equity stuff, how many more productions of Smokey Joe's can I do? How many more productions of Five mm-hmm. Guys Named Mo can I do? Let me take this office job. I'm across the street from every audition, but I really would like my equity card. Mm-hmm. So, But I'm here, but I'm just across the street. So let me see, can I time this right? Let me read about every open call. I'm managing the call center. So mm-hmm. let me be really good at that. That means I only have to get on the phone at the call center as the manager if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. So you don't really need me unless there's a problem. So I mm-hmm. told all the 20-year-olds, you're doing your job if I don't have to get on the phone. Mm. If I can be auditioning while you're doing your job, you're crushing it. And they did it. Because I would <laughs> let them go audition. Like, hey, uh-huh. James, can I have like an hour? Can I take my lunch at 10? Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. If you guys make sure I never have to get on the phone. Uh-huh. So they did. I And I said, I'm only going to go to auditions that will guarantee me my equity card. And that's how Whistle Down the Wind happened. I love it. The audition, the first two auditions, the dance callback, and then the final callback all happened on my lunch break across the street while I'm wow. managing a call center. It also seems like a great example. We sometimes talk about like survival jobs that don't. Yeah. That are not that are that pay enough for you, so you feel good yeah. about that. You obviously, can't like yeah. sap your dignity, but also yeah. that you're not in love with to the point that you're like, well, this is my new career. Like no. you're like you're no, pretty clear about adjacent, like I'm doing this. To the other I was thing. adjacent to the thing. I I you know I remember Tarzan was on. I will never forget. We would have these meetings as shows would come to Broadway, and they wanted mm-hmm. to, us to be able to sell these tickets to HR people. And HR people are going to say, well, what's Tarzan about? And we all know now history has afforded us the hindsight and the 2020 vision to know Tarzan was not a great music. <laughs> but we were given language from marketing teams that we had to say Tarzan was visually stunning. Mm. That was the selling point for Tarzan, the musical sure. by Phil Collins, that it was visually stunning. Mm. And I will never forget like those little things that we got about marketing. And this is how this is the language people use to market Broadway shows. And mm-hmm. yes, and this is the language we will use in this call center. Uh-huh. So that was a skill that I like kind of tucked away back here about how people might market shows. Boy, isn't that interesting to think about that when you think about stuff like casting and being like, how much of it is it about visually stunning versus yeah, yeah. the artist? It's visually stunning, it. but it's a musical. Shouldn't we talk about the musical? No, it is yeah. visually stunning. Um, that was very, very telling to me. So I went and I got my my job and I also got, it was Whistle Down the Wind and it had money behind it and it was Andrew uh-huh. Lloyd Webber and they were going to try to repair the fact that it was a flop musical in the UK. But more importantly, they were going to pay me yes, and they were going to pay for my equity card. Mm. It wasn't just like, go do like a theater works thing and get points towards your Uh equity card. We will hire you and completely pay for you Mm. to join the union. That's the most amazing thing. So So I did it. I got to walk back to that office and say, I'll be putting in my notice. Mm. Why? Oh, because I'm going to go join the the tour of Andrew Lloyd Webber's. Because I booked is why. Yeah. Um, and then what leads you to the cabaret world? So was that a little later in life that you started doing more solo shows? You've done seems like a lot did, of cabaret work. You know, so now I have the equity card. Now I've done a tour. Not a great tour, but I've done a tour. Sure. I've gotten paid very well. I came back and I did some regional theater things now with the equity cards. I'm a little bit, you know, now it's, it's maybe up to six or $700 a week. <laughs> um, I did the Radio City show. I booked that for and did that for a couple of years. But I also, I was getting tired mm-hmm. because what I was learning at was there's still just a bunch of Smokey Joe's cafes to do. It's mm-hmm. they still, I still walk into a room and I'm expected to just kind of do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, you're sort of summed up when you walk into a room and you feel that 
you you feel you I felt that energy in you know 1983 walking into mm-hmm. Debbie Levy's bar mitzvah in Randolph High School, Randolph Massachusetts, and it's the same energy walking into a casting room or session mm-hmm. or or whatever during that period. I was like, oh, you've already decided what you want me to be uh-huh. or do, and it got very tiring. I remember waiting. I went to some sort of huge open call for hairspray, um, not because I wanted to be a seaweed. But because mm-hmm. I knew, oh, there's a musical that has black people in it, so I guess I'm supposed to mm-hmm. go do. But it was one of those big publicity stunt open calls where a line was wrapped around mm-hmm. the, a block, a city block. And I remember I waited in that line for probably four and a half hours to go into a very tiny room, um, to sing maybe two bars of mm-hmm. music. And it, I felt um, there was a lot of like, okay, great, thanks, thanks, thanks for the two bars. Can you just hit this note? And then I hit it. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks. And I was like, wow, I just, I spent like six hours of my life mm-hmm. to just like maybe sing two bars and to just get told, can you hit this and do it? And then that's it. That's mm-hmm. literally it. I had a lovely day in line with people that I, to this day, I'm still friends with, but I just had gotten tired of doing the same thing. And someone, uh, actually a friend of our, uh, uh, Melissa Hammonds was at this point. Yes. Uh, doing these um, sort of like, not cabarets, but she was putting together these events of mm-hmm. celebrating different types of music. So there was a, an event she was putting together of women's music and someone was to play Carol King or not to play Carol King, but to sing a few of Carol King's songs. Mm-hmm. And we were, she and I were together up in Connecticut driving back to New York City for something. And she had a performance that night um, for this group that maybe had a cast of like five or six different women in it. And someone dropped out someone texted her and while we're driving back to connecticut and she's freaking out of like well what am i going to do someone has to cover the carol king sections of this music and i was like in my head while i'm driving i'm like i can sing carol king like, <laughs> she's, she's kind of an alto and i'm, uh-huh. I'm kind, i don't know there's some, there's some crossover yeah. there yeah. um and i was like hey girl um I could do it like i know you need <laughs> you're in a pinch the thing's in like two hours and we're sitting in traffic like I could do it. So we drove straight to the venue somewhere downtown in the city. When we got back to Manhattan, I went to the sound check and I did it. And because I was a new cog in the machine, Uh there were a lot of like hiccups in the evening. Uh So I would come out on stage and the band has to like adjust of like, Oh, that's right. We're going to try this one a step down or did it. So someone had to kind of kill time and Uh vamp for a second. And And who better? Who better? Come now, on. I didn't know I had that in me, uh-huh. but I just like kind of chit chatted with the crowd for a second. And I was like, and, oh, tell story. Uh-huh. You, you respond. What? Uh-huh. I sing a song. All right. What, right. And what a freeing moment to do that in. Too. Oh my God. I feel like sometimes, you know, people are so nervous to go on as an understudy. Of course you would be as an understudy, but like you also are really set up to succeed because everyone's yeah. rooting for you when you're, yeah. and so you're like, I'm helping out here. So I get a chance to like, I'm going to have fun with it. I'm going to stay loose. It's not my concert. I had no cares in the world mm-hmm. other than I want to help my friend. You're trying to help out. Do a good job. Yeah. yeah. That's so and cool. I, I, it was, a, I got a great response. Someone came up to me afterwards and said, like, you know, you could like do that. Mm-hmm. You could like turn that into something. There's a, there's footage somewhere on YouTube of me singing. I think like, it's too late, baby. No, it's too late. Um, and me telling part of a little joke before mm-hmm. it starts. There's somewhere, there's a YouTube clip of that. that I we will find. find that clip. It will be yeah. in the show notes. Megan yeah. is on it. We're on it. <laughs> so I, I did that. And someone said, you know, oh, you could turn this into a little something. And I did. Uh-huh. So cool. I, that was probably, I don't even, 
at this point, 15 years ago, 16 uh-huh. years ago. Um, and that's how, that was the birth of the cabaret thing. And talk to me a little, I, I, we've, we sort of did a little runner on type for the past mm-hmm. maybe eight, nine, 10 episodes, mm-hmm. which we kind of closed up. But, but now mm-hmm. that you brought it up, I'm like, I'm, I'm a little interested in, or I'm very interested in, I don't know how our listeners are going to continue to be interested in it. But um, when you say, you know, the kind of box that they were putting in yeah. you in, I'd love to kind of hear, what was that experience like? I mean, was it mostly about race and sexuality or was there something else that you were doing that that you were like, you're putting me here because of the way my voice sounds or because of how I dress or what did it feel like for you? I know that I learned at a very young age that whenever I walk into a room, whenever it's been, or just maybe it's the rooms I walk into, someone in that room has made a decision about who I am. Uh-huh. to them. And if do you know what is that what that decision is? Or is it always different things or is it like you are X? Um sometimes you, you get to be a good reader of people because people have summed you up. So people are people are always surprised to have, and they always have been about mm-hmm. whatever it is. Oh, Schubert? You you like classical music? You mm-hmm. you know things about that? Um your mother does what? Uh-huh. <laughs> that's that's always been a thing. So then going into these audition rooms, you, when I first got here, in those holding rooms, it was a bunch of people who looked just like me. There's uh-huh. a call for, you know, someone to play Adrian in Smokey Joe's Cafe. Someone mm-hmm. dropped out. So that means everyone who's six foot tall, black, shaved head mm-hmm. and in musical theater is going to be at that call to sing the, probably the same 16 bars, mm-hmm. if they're lucky, and hopefully get the one job that's there. When I started to do the cabaret stuff, I now had this arsenal of material that I identified with so well that I loved singing and I could put my entire mm-hmm. self in when I performed and I could easily tell those stories in the way that I wanted to tell them. And when I brought that material into rooms, now armed with all of the stuff, contract uh-huh. knowledge, the um, the equity card, the agent, and now I'm bringing in material that speaks to me on like such a personal level Mm -hmm. that's when the entire game changed Mm -hmm. because no matter what you thought i walk in the room first you know i walk in the room anyway and i had to sing i spent so much time in the early days trying to figure out what it is they want me to do Mm -hmm. oh they want me to can you sing a little more urban can you sing a little can you sing anything like a billy porter type thing Mm -hmm. what's what does that mean now i'm coming in the room comfortable I, I brought carol king in the room mm-hmm. now i brought in some gladys knight or some and now i see people at the table leaning in to go oh, oh. because you feel like early on you were also kind of participating in putting yourself in a box Absolutely. you're saying okay i'll try to be like a seaweed because i think that's what your eyes are doing to me yeah and now you're going no i'm me and if you don't like me that's fine little do i know that like the language you might be using is you know might be too gay. Um, mm-hmm. A purse has fallen out of his mouth. <laughs> that's, that's something we've all we've all <laughs> talked about. That we've all heard. Yeah. Um, could you? I've had someone say, "Could you please re- try to remember that this character is a man?" Oof. Like I, I didn't forget. Someone said that to no, me. No, no, I did not forget. No, I didn't forget, and I stayed in the room. Now, me at forty-seven, uh-huh. with who I am now, I I may have stayed in the room, but to tell you some other things. Um, yeah. No, you're going to go back to Westfield and do a little bit yeah, of teaching. Now we're yeah, going to say, okay, yeah. I'm going to teach you what a man yeah. can be. So I have always been aware of what people are going to think of me or expect from me, and mm-hmm. that's on them. But if the job mm-hmm. is about me going in the room and just doing my best, at that thing when they say, like, sing something that just, like, shows your personality, that tell, tell us a little about you, mm-hmm. that tells us about you. I've got that. That's what they actually want. 
Are you, yes. are you someone who looks like they might be great to work with? Period. Not, it, 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 not someone who like might be able to fit into the box or is over there trying, they did a great job of trying to fit into the box that they think that I want to put them in. It's not that. And mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, oh my God, if I wear this, that's okay. And then they'll think this of mm-hmm. me. I can't wear green because, you know, green, to, none of that stuff mm-hmm. means anything. None of that stuff means anything. So, Not until I was true. doing this thing where I had to arrange some of the music, figure out what key it was in. I used to have backup singers in my show and I'm like writing the backup arrangements for them to do, hiring the band, figuring out how to pay them, getting the rehearsal studio, contacting the venue, mm-hmm. what time is sound check, what's the, the, you know, all of those, what's the back line at the venue so I can tell the, the band what they need to bring, figuring out all of that stuff and then making sure you sold the tickets and you got the people there and the da da da. Not until I started doing that was I able to walk into those other rooms with the equity card and the agent and mm-hmm. be completely comfortable. It's so interesting. It sounds so much like uh, Susan Blackwell gave this advice of like, um, as an actor, she always pretends like she was the writer on the project. <laughs> so she she does the words as if she's mm-hmm. written them, right? It's that like, you now have an understanding of the whole spectrum of what it is to produce yeah. the thing. And so you go, great, I, I see what the role yeah. of actor is. And it's not as small maybe as I as I have been yeah. making it. It's not as, as pigeonholed as and I what I've You're always collaborating. You mm-hmm. spend your training and the actual time doing the job just collaborating. You are always mm. collaborating. You never stop. Mm, I love it. Okay, we are going to stop for a <laughs> second and pay some ads here um, or get paid by some ads or however that works. On the back end of the break, we're going to dive into Strange Loop a little bit more and, of course, play a little game. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, we are back with James Jackson Jr. And we're going to dive into the excitement of the Broadway debut in our mm-hmm. mid-40s. You know, we did have Dakin Matthews mm. on the pod earlier who made his debut in his, like, 60s, which wow. I mean, that's still the, the age to beat. Um, but that's a long, circuitous yeah. journey to reach Broadway. So talk to me a little bit about both the, that experience of, of what it was to to happen in, in your 40s, but also a little bit of the journey of the show. Because you were with it for a yeah. while, right? It wasn't like, you know, one, two. It was like you you journeyed. I've talked about the collaborating thing and and being in these holding rooms and being in these early spaces of they don't want any of us or they just want one of us and there's 70 of us here. Mm-hmm. In those spaces, mm-hmm. I met, you know, a group of people who look just like me. And mm-hmm. one thing a lot of them said was, there's this crazy songwriter running around New York City, and his name is Michael R. Jackson. Please don't sing his music. He is insane. It is too much. It is too, it's just too out there. And you'll never work again if you sing his music. Hmm. Now, me being me, I was like, but what do you mean you'll never work again? you aren't working. Like you're telling Mm -hmm. me this while we're here fighting for one slot. (laughs) I don't need advice from you while we're like, I'm holding your bag while you're in the McDonald's bathroom. (laughs) So, and me also being me, I had to know everything about him immediately. So I, I 
researched all of his music that I could find. You know, and we're in the early days of the internet for my at the time elderly behind. So I I start researching him, and naturally at one point I got the call. I had heard of him before I left Boston. Actually, I was doing a production of the Wild Party at Speakeasy Stage Company, and someone there, uh, a composer named Rachel Peters, said, "You know, when you get to New York, she lived in New York, but she was just in." Boston at the time. Um, when you get to New York, you should meet my friend Michael R. Jackson. So that was the first time I'd heard his name. Then I get to New York and I'm meeting all these people who are like, do not sing his stuff. I got a call from him one day or an email or something. That someone had dropped out of one of his concerts at Joe's Pub. He used to do all these, I have these like trunk songs just laying around concerts at mm-hmm. Pub and Ars Nova. Someone dropped out and I filled in. And I did the thing that you're supposed to do. He, he, I said, yes, absolutely. I've heard, I have heard of you. I would love to be a part of your concert. And he emailed me the music and I was going to meet say the next day for rehearsal. So that night I got the music and I practiced it. I rehearsed. Mm-hmm. I sat at my piano and I, I learned my part. And then I went to rehearsal, you know, what's that word I'm looking for? Prepared. Mm. And I got to rehearsal with him, which was at, just at his apartment uh, up in Inwood. And he, we sat at his little piano, his little keyboard there. And he was so surprised that I knew my part. Uh-huh. He still talk. I've heard him talk about this in the press, like as recently. Uh-huh. You know, like he the- came in expecting to teach you your part. And you're like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm just here to work it. James Jackson showed up prepared. Mm-hmm. I will never forget that. And so to a writer, they don't want to waste time plunking. So because he didn't have to, sure, we rehearsed for five or 10 minutes. And Mm -hmm. then we talk about soap operas and Days of Our Lives and Mm -hmm. Lori Amos and and, uh, (laughs) and like Liz Fair and Mm -hmm. Joan Mitchell and the stuff that we both love. So I immediately, sure, we could rehearse, whatever. That went, went, yeah. But I found a friend. Mm -hmm. Oh. And he had the similar background to me. So it was just, we, we sort of bonded over that. So that was, well, now we know 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've and been a part of this thing for 13 years. For 13 years it's been being yeah. developed. And, and that's been not even since, the longest. Basically since the beginning. Since that one stupid person dropped out. Yeah. You and it wasn't even it. a show at this point. Michael is a songwriter. So he had a ton of songs. Jam, who plays the mom at the end of the show, he's been with it. We're the granddaddies. He's Jam's uh-huh. done about 14 years and I'm wow. going on 13 years. So that's how long it takes. So the journey, exactly. so it the does. journey with it's, the show, and of course, you know, we've talked a little about this before with with you know the from whatever from a nymph show to an off Broadway to a Broadway, mm-hmm. or from what you know all the mm-hmm. different readings to off Broadway, and then eventually to Broadway, um, and some regional theater in there, I know as well. I, I could, would love to talk a little bit about like after I guess it was this spring you opened on Broadway, right? Yes. Have you felt a difference? for your human self being Broadway actor, James Jackson Jr. I mean, it was one of my favorite moments from that. T- we did a talk back with uh, MTC after the yeah. summer masterclass. We did talk back with some of the wonderful actors in the cast. And I asked everyone, I was just like, is for how many of you is it your Broadway debut? Mm-hmm. All but one raised their hands. So it was just like, yes. like you felt all our students go, oh my yeah. gosh. Could, it's not because I think sometimes we think of it like a wall, like there are Broadway actors and then there are non-Broadway actors. Well, I, I, because I think we think of Broadway as some, mythical far off land correct and it's just all it really is is a cup broadway is just about size yeah it's about house size how many seats are in a building i have a lot of seats in this apartment but slightly less slightly more expensive more more than 300 dollars a week in your salary yeah yeah so we just think we've 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 placed broadway on a pedestal Mm -hmm. um and you really can only get up there 
if you have figured out a lot of stuff beneath the pedestal that doesn't mm-hmm. even have pedestals mm-hmm. that you might have to sit on the floor and mm-hmm. do. So I think because we look at Broadway like that, it's that's the biggest question that people talk about now. It's like, what's Broadway like? How is mm-hmm. it? Oh, it must be magical. It must be everything ever dreamed of. And it's great. Yeah, it's great. But it's not, it could never be the only goal. Because I think when I made it the only goal, that was back in the days of trying to be what they, I think they want me uh-huh. to be. It what I wasn't doing realistic work. Uh-huh. So I talked to someone the other day about like, you know, life after a strange loop, which is something mm-hmm. we all have to face and like what, what's going to be next. And someone referred to me as someone who was doing long-term work. You're doing mm-hmm. long haul work. You're mm-hmm. fostering relationships with other songwriters and, and creators. And you're, you're in this for a long haul. And that's so obvious to people. Mm-hmm. And Broadway is not, there is a period where it was the only goal but Broadway is also not the only thing to do. Totally. But so, do you feel the cachet of it opening up other doors? Like, do you feel now absolutely. there are doors I'm open so to you that wouldn't have been five years ago? This show, if, if the doors weren't open five years ago, I would have spent the last five years figuring out how to open them myself. Because uh-huh. that's all I've ever really done. Uh-huh. Um, I'm so excited that this has opened doors that I didn't expect to open. I'm so, and I'm not that person. I don't lead with, I don't think it's wise to just lead with your resume. I think it's much better to lead with your actions and what you are as an artist and a creative person that I, I'm much, I believe more in doing rather than just talking about it. Uh, so I <laughs> believe that, you know, a couple of years ago when I was trying to do my cabaret stuff or whatever, whatever I've done, I would not mention a strange loop. Uh-huh. Even though, you know, we'd already won a Pulitzer and I uh-huh. now have I'm an Obie Award, like just sitting here and like things like that. I would never lead with those things. I'm from New England and I always, I wanted to play, we go to Provincetown, my partner and I, a couple times a year. And I always wanted to play some of the little tiny theaters there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to do it. So I finally, but everyone was like, well, you know how to book things. You just find the person, you call them, you send an email, whatever. And I was like, okay, yeah, but can I do that? And I had friends say, you're in a thing yeah. that just won Every yeah. off-Broadway award, it won the Pulitzer Prize. You get to use that. You're a mm-hmm. part of that. And I was like, really? Do I? And I still do that when I think of A Strange Loop now. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's hard for me to w- believe. I Probably maybe that's just about the longevity of it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you know I go places now and people are like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. It's you. It's that guy. Mm-hmm. Jam and I will walk up and down Sixth Avenue to try to find probably a cupcake or something, just something like bad to eat, French fries or whatever. And people are like, "It's the two of you. It's those guys. You're the guys from the <laughs> I show. Know you, your character. Your yeah. the thoughts. Yeah, three and two, so two and five. I know six that I and have nine. arrived because someone stopped me in my Target in Jersey City. So, oh, I have you've made so it. If it's opening while you're doors purchasing your me, fake plants, people while are purchasing my, my three dollar fake plants. But if it, if those are the doors that can open then that's great. I'm so excited about what could be next. Let's talk a little bit of that ownership. So did, did you guys end up, I think, um, did, did you fight for and or get that like 1% that everyone tries to do on in Broadway of like as we, creator, actor, writer, people? We, we if the show were to recoup its investment, yes, right. we got to that stage. So that's yeah, so we, that's well, we've learned that, you know, we're a small cast and we're a family. So we've learned how to 
very much function as that. All yeah. contract negotiations, we, you know, except for the first time, except for going into playwrights because we didn't uh-huh. know. I was still kind of blown away by, what do you mean you want me to do the show without a music stand? That's uh-huh. like, I've just been here for all these years. Uh-huh. So we didn't talk to each other to negotiate for playwrights. But we said after the fact, anytime we do anything, we have to actually band together and do this as a family. And it has been nothing but helpful to do that. I love it. Well, and, and, you know, beside the, the sort of financial part of that 1%, there's that implication of like, I am someone who is bringing myself into the story. Yeah. I'm, I'm adding yeah. to the thing as a writer. What was, was there a lot of James in your thought character? I'm saying thought because that's what the characters Absolutely. are named, but they're not yeah. Usher. I, I um, play thought yeah. too. Uh, Usher's daily self-loathing mm-hmm. and absolutely because so throughout the last you know 13 years anytime I would go off and do a regional something or a whatever or I was do- going I'm going to do my show in LA or I'm going to come whatever I would always come back to New York and I would there'd always be a workshop or something of a strange loop to do so I had this was always sort of home based to me and I always refer to it as I've been saying this a lot to people recently that this is one of the only creative spaces I've ever been asked to come into just as myself mm-hmm. where I've ever been asked well what would James do in this uh-huh. situation this is literally in all of these places school high school uh-huh. finding work after um, finally coming to New York the, the severance package, the whatever. This is the only artistic space I've ever, ever in my 47 years of being been asked, what would James do? Mm. And that's so important because we don't get asked what yeah. we personally would like. We get asked how well we would play another character. Uh-huh. How, how's your Hamlet? Like what we get asked, like we ask, get asked how you would do something else. We never get asked what would you do? And this is the only space where I have always been asked that. And, and it's evident important. in the work. You, you can see, I mean, I think yeah. for all of you, you can see there's such specific choices that you go, yeah. if that's written by a writer and has nothing to do with the actor, then right. that's a hell of a writer. You go, like, you're fooling me if that's what's going on. We've done workshops of this where we just sat around and talked for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your worst date. Mm-hmm. What was your coming out story? Um, no singing, no script, just sat around mm-hmm. and talked. Um, so that made me comfortable enough to, when it came time to put things on its feet, to say, okay, I'm playing Harriet Tubman here. Oh, could she have a shotgun? Is that mm-hmm. possible? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, hey, wait, it's Usher's birthday. Um, can I have a, uh, this fake cupcake? Could mm-hmm. I have a real cupcake? And then you you comfortably ask for the thing that you know you need that you can make work because you're doing it you know you if you have this thing you can make it work beyond their wildest dreams and then you get the thing did you follow the sarah porkalop story at all in terms of i did you know i i tried to be on vacation and not i took i took a few days off for my Mm -hmm. birthday and i tried to have a peaceful vacation and not couldn't follow it you Um, can't avoid it yeah um, but so, you know, we've been talking a little about the kind of the dynamics between those creative and interpretive artists in, mm-hmm. in that context of new work. And that's a lot of what Sarah was talking about, I think, in that that yeah. article. And I guess I'm, I'm wondering on like what was likely a pretty meaty show. <laughs> Look, my child is crying to even think we might be talking about this. Um, in, in that, you know, some of those meaty conversations, was there ever kind of that actor slash director tension in the room? Because clearly there's a lot of artists in Strange Loop who are yeah. multi-hyphenates themselves. Was there ever the tension of, hey, I actually think this choice is better. And it's like, no, no, we really do want you to make this other choice. Mm-hmm. Where you had to sort of figure out where that line was in us as seven creators versus well, I think some there are people. I ship. think there are a lot of people who are new to a lot of things, mainly new to the idea of collaboration. 
because collaboration is really the is the only thing that we have. Mm-hmm. All of what we do, even people that just do solo work, all of what we do is based on some young notion of, hey, kids, let's put on a show. Yeah. And there are some people who actually can't let go of who they are to just collaborate. Um, and there are people who have absolutely no interest in that. And I think there's maybe, maybe there's some level of like narcissism or like some, something along some spectrum of mental illness around that. But there are people who are unable to be collaborators. Right. So when they're getting, they are in a situation where they have to do that, they might fall apart. And mm-hmm. then you don't know, I've learned, you know, like, oh, there are certain ways you have to speak to the press or ways that you have to do whatever, or tiring things that are going to come up when you're in previews and rehearsing Mm -hmm. all day. There's a lot of feelings around that and it can really ruin a trip to Target just to get your groceries. (laughs) And there are people who are just unable. There are people who are literally unable and they probably, maybe one thing they were good at is math and they want to break things down into percentages. Uh Um, But you're either able to, the only thing an artist has is how well they collaborate. Mm Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just kind of doing it for yourself. And that's you, that's something else. We've talked about collaboration a lot on the show. It, it is really messy, right? It's a messy yeah. balance of like, you want to be able to bring in those ideas. Like, what if yeah. I had a hand, shotgun in this moment? What if I had a real yeah. cupcake? Yeah. You want to, well, but you yeah. also have enough freedom and, and lack of ego to be able to say, yeah. oh, but your idea is good too. And what if I try to make that idea right, work? Right, right, right. You know? It happens in the sandbox in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. You'll encounter this very soon, you know, like <laughs> right now child... it's all mine. Everything is mine. Mine. Like, we get it. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. So once we get out of that stage, which yeah. it, it lasts for longer than it should. Uh, but once we get out of that stage, um, child gets into sandbox and counters other child uh-huh. and parents can sit back and watch it. And the two children figure out how to divide up the sand and create mm-hmm. something together. Mm. And they do it. It's just a natural human thing. And there are people who, you know, the last couple of years of being stuck inside during the, mm-hmm. the peak of the pandemic and wiping off groceries and such, um, that has driven a lot of people to a scary place. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't done a lot of work on yourself, you still now might not know how to go back out into the world now that we have to go out into the world yep. and do things like build sandcastles together or collaborate. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were selfish during a pandemic, you might still be. Uh-huh. Or maybe you always were. Uh huh. You it just crystallized you. If you were more isolated, yeah. if you were more self, yeah. then now it's like you you yeah. got to do that for two years, and it's. But stuck. also, what we did learn in this time of like you know, being at home wiping off groceries, we learned all this tech stuff. Mm-hmm. We did learn, and behind the tech stuff leads to that evil thing, social media mm-hmm. um, or social mafia, as some people might call it. it. We're gonna so talk about like, it, James. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of like you know, what we can do, I guess we spent years talking about clickbait, Mm -hmm. but there are people while sitting at home wiping off groceries who might be measuring likes and clicks. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think if whatever your rant about um, fractions and percentages might be, it did end with a strong desire for more Instagram likes. Mm -hmm. And I hope that like, that's, if that's what you're in it for, whatever you're in it for, Mm -hmm. get it, get it. But I think there's a lot of people in it, in this thing for collaboration. It's the only reason mm-hmm. is about like figuring out how to divvy up the sand and build a, th- build a little and something together. It does strike me that Instagram likes is 
like money, it's something where yeah. you go, there can never be enough. You know, yeah. if, you, if that's what you're in it for, there's no there, there, there's no end to like, whoop, hundred thousand, I'm done. What's, you know, what's the joke? It's about being really, really rich in Monopoly. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, you got Boardwalk and Park Place and mm-hmm. all the railroads because that's the formula you need to win. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's all you need. But you're really, really rich in Monopoly. Uh, you got That's Tesla awesome. and Twitter and SpaceX. Good for you. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But there's like, there's real, you know, in the last couple of years, I've taught a lot of people just recently how to be activists or, you know, they believe that they're activists, but it's mm-hmm. still lowercase a. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of um, great work that has come out of the, the last two years and a lot of great things that will come. But at the core of everything that we do is a collaborative effort mm-hmm. and you have to be. There's the reason that was on our report cards growing up of like uh-huh. works well, works well with others, others yeah. or doesn't. Yep. <laughs> if we talk a little bit about the closing that's coming up, so and it's a pretty mm-hmm. new announcement, so I'm sure it's still yeah. something you're still processing, but yeah. how do you feel with the idea of, okay, so it's a couple months more and then it's done? I'm so excited because there's so many people coming up like, oh my God, I'm so sad, like the show's closing. And uh-huh. of course it's, it's sad, but also shows close. And it's been 13 it, years of your life now. Yeah. So you're like, shows also a chapter close. maybe you're ready Think to about how many shows, since Broadway's been reopened or Broadway's back, think yeah. about how many shows have come and gone and closed. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I can't think of many things in my life that I am more proud of. Like, look at, look at what we did. Uh-huh. People are going to have, you know, for months, they're going to talk about for years, maybe, but what went wrong with a strange looper? Why a strange loop didn't work? Um, and I'm gonna have, they're just gonna have to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I was there. I have always done the show. <laughs> uh-huh. I have um there's a magical thing that the seven of us on stage have that even the creators of the show do not. Uh we know what it is like to be on stage doing this show and delivering these words and singing mm-hmm. these songs and watching an audience receive them. Mm-hmm. Some of them are so harsh and some of them are so brutally honest and hard to sit through for some folks. And it's one of the greatest thrills of my entire creative life mm-hmm. and collaborative life to have figured out how to put these words and songs in my body, get on a stage and deliver them and to watch someone receive them. Yeah. Good, bad, or ugly. It is one of the greatest thrills of my entire creative artistic life. And I'll never get that back. So yeah. I'm so I wish I had a better word than proud. I'm so proud of what we did. We showed up on Broadway, a place that does not include us, hasn't Mm -hmm. included me for 40 some odd years, hasn't Mm -hmm. included most of us for 40 some odd years. We showed up on Broadway telling this story that people will say, like, I shouldn't have been on Broadway. We showed up telling this story Mm -hmm. and look at what we did. You can never take that away. And I think that's the most beautiful thing in the world. And because of that, whatever doors that may open, I think that's the most exciting thing ever. I cannot wait i'm giddy about what could be next and do you feel like the conclusion is going to be that it was oh it didn't work because it didn't last more than a year i mean to to me what's some of the narrative that i'm already seeing out in the press of like well it never found its audience Mm. and that's three million percent not true yeah it's it it seems not uncommon for great artistic shows to be an artistic success but not be wicked i think we're still we're still in a pandemic do you know anyone who still has not come back to see Broadway shows? Have people mm-hmm. who are still staying at home? I do. For sure. I know people who, who live in the tri-state who have not gone to see the thing that they love, Broadway, um, yeah. because we are still in the middle of a thing. We can't just, Broadway is not back just because you say Broadway is right. back. 
And in that climate, where we have friends in other shows who we talk at half hour, we'll half we'll FaceTime each other because mm-hmm. now it only takes like a couple minutes to get ready. Um, and they'll say like, "Oh, we're holding the house tonight because they're bringing the five people in the balcony down to the mezzanine." Uh-huh. And we have not experienced that. No, I mean, we have we been saw open it as full crowds. Yeah, we've been playing yeah. since April, eight months now, and right going on eight months. We have had, I believe, four shows that were um at like 75 percent, something like that we have been playing to packed houses and those shows that were tiny audiences were wednesday matinees Mm -hmm. two of them during jewish holidays um Mm -hmm. so naturally they're going to be empty Mm -hmm. and wednesday matinees we can all talk ad nauseum about (laughs) why are wednesday matinees still a thing um but we have been playing to packed houses i know that better than maybe even some of the producers who used to come to the theater okay. and don't anymore. Um, yeah. No, it's, it, it feels like a, an issue with Broadway in general that like yeah. we all crave for new work, artistic work, risky mm-hmm. shows. I mean, this but is everything also that want people shows talk about wanting. To, be, to last for 10 years before right. you can... You want them I also thought... to be Phantom of the Opera. I'm like, well, they're not. Yeah. That's a two different things. That's two different Nothing's you know, be. business models. Go buy yourself a chandelier. Someone, I saw someone arguing online that they considered Dear Evan Hansen a flop. Oh my God. Because it didn't last long, what, longer? There's a big argument about the math around it. Math always rears its ugly head, I guess. Um, Because the the year and a half of the pandemic, you have to subtract that. So technically it was only on Broadway for this long. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I have to get off of the internet. Yeah. You got to get off the internet. That's the problem. We got to get off the internet. I have work to do and build and create (laughs) and spaces to let people know, Hey, you can come do this. You too can go do this thing and be a part of this. Just build it. They will come. Well, for what it's worth, we here at MTCA considered a a smashing success. We've seen it three times. Loved it every time. Uh, Yeah. Um, Let's dive into our special game. Shall we not? Okay. Yes. As a regular listener of the show, you're going to know that each of our guests get a unique game made up just for them. Mm -hmm. Many different directions. I know we could have gone with you in terms of the specific hot seat I could have put you in, but I thought we'd play a very special game about two of your favorite, a strange loop castmates, both of whom are MTCA coaches in John Michael Lyles and John Michael Reese. We're calling this game. Which JM is that JM? Okay, these are going to be JM questions, and I'm going to give you some facts that are either about one of our JMs or a celebrity slash famous historical figure with the initials JM. Okay, are you ready to play? Which JM is that JM? Bring it. This JM was college classmates with this very podcast host. Uh, That's Reese. That is Reese. Correct. That is Reese. One for one. You're doing great. This JM was America's fourth president. (laughs) <laughs> that is James Madison. That is James Madison. Bonus yeah. points for guessing the correct JM. You could just say neither, but that's great. Very good for you. Okay. This JM sometimes goes by the nickname, The Comeback Kid. <laughs> oh, I want to say Reese. Oh, if only it were. That's Joe Montana. Joe Montana oh, wow. is The Comeback Kid. Wow. Okay, great. This JM went to North Carolina School of the Arts. Reese? Mm, Joe Mantello. Joe Mantello. Oh Originally, I put this JM was college classmates at Carnegie Mellon with this, okay. po- but then I had to take it out to make it better, which is where Reese and I both went. Okay. okay, you're doing great. These have been very tough so far. 
This JM once played Cordelia in King Lear opposite Billy Porter. Oh, wait, that's Reese, right? That is Reese, correct. Yeah. Very good. We've set you up with a lot of non-Lyles ones to kind of throw you I off. I saw that. Yeah. This JM, alongside his performing career, made a second source of income with video games. Oh, neither? That's correct. It's John Madden. I threw you off a little with the oh, performing okay. career. We're going with many JMs. This JM was in Jasper in Deadland with MTCA's other director, Leo Ash Evans. That's Lyles. That's Lyles. Correct. You're doing great. Yes. This JM lives on a houseboat in the Potomac River. <laughs> in the Potomac River. Uh, mm-hmm. That's neither of them. That is Joe Manchin. That's correct. That is Joe Manchin, okay. senator from West Virginia. This JM went to Pace University. That's Lyles. That is Lyles, correct. This JM is obsessed with Judy Garland and has Race. a show to prove it. Wow, Race. we didn't have to finish that question. Raise, we now raise. I remember that from college. That's amazing. Hands okay. down. This JM was once described by a critic as rock and roll Bing Crosby. Oh, I want to say Reese because I... Mm. I I would call him that. In a, in we a go way. neither. It's Jim Morrison who's going for. Jim wow. Morrison. We're really wow. throwing those neithers okay. in there to kind of throw you off. This jam recently won an IDEA award, idea award, for excellence in musical theater. That's Lyles. That is Lyles, correct. Yes. You're doing very well with which of the two of them are. I'm just getting oh. you with the neithers only. The neithers are a mess. This jam has had their identity and gender questioned publicly many times, and it still remains a mystery. Neither. That's Jane Martin, the playwright Jane Martin. Doing great. Very good. Very good. We don't know. This JM was born in Dallas, Texas. That's Lyles. That Lyles or Reefs or both. They're both <gasps> born in the Dallas area. Lyles was born oh, in Mesquite, Texas, which is right, a suburb of, right. of, of Texas, but both were born in Dallas, Texas. I tried to throw you that. off on the last one. Oh. You've done amazingly at which JM is this wow. JM. That is hard. Well, you know, we don't have easy games on the show. The point <laughs> is to struggle and work. I need to bring back that non-equity, waiting in the line kind of work yeah. ethic to get through. Yeah. Um, I'm going to wrap us up here in a little bit. I, well, you mentioned social media. So we've been asking a lot of our guests just to talk about their own relationship with social media. Mm-hmm. And, and I would even say with, you said, I got to get all the way off, off, offline, which I really yeah. appreciate. Just in the way that you're thinking about, like, how do you think about your brand online? How often you post? Even as you're, we're meeting you today, like, how much are we meeting the James on a normal Tuesday versus James branding himself a little bit? The only difference is I didn't like actually do this from Target. <laughs> Target is better be sponsoring this pod. They're getting a lot of shout outs. No, like they really should. They really should. Um, this is so very much me. Uh-huh. I am, I'm not, I guess someone might say differently, but I'm not good at a lot of things like social media wise or electronically uh-huh. or whatever. I've had to learn a lot again when we were home wiping uh-huh. off groceries, but um. I've posted a lot of a strange loop stuff since we've been on Broadway because I'm using it as sort of a scrapbook. Yep. Um, the other thing that I do love about it is these like young theater kids from literally all over the planet have immediate access to me. And some uh-huh. people are terrified of that. Um, but some of them write and ask the most poignant questions or they ask do you know how I can get the sheet music for blah, 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 blah. Um, or thank you. You know, I, I have been told in my auditioning career in my life, non-equity, equity, then beyond uh, that about the purse falling out thing about maybe you're a little too 
something. Uh, is it too long and flowy? Is it too what? Is it too gay for someone to whatever? And I know that I do, I play thought too with as much of James in it as I can. Mm. Because when I come out of the theater at night and I meet these other gay men uh, and just queer folks in general who have been told, you know, you can't wear that to work. Mm -hmm. You can't speak that high or sing that high or whatever. Um, And those are the reasons I left theater or stopped performing because I never thought I would see someone like me just being like me on stage, soul whole and full. Uh, So I do it solely for them. Mm. So when those people, those kids reach out to me, I, I just like to let them know that like, yeah, like this is, it's literally for all of us. It's so beautiful to think the way that that one professor that you said, oh mm-hmm. my God, there's a black professor I, at this school. And now yeah. you are that for so many people. Yeah. Going, oh my God, there's a me on Broadway. So I think there's like a responsibility. There's someone who wrote me mm-hmm. just the other day saying like, hey, I saw you walking through Times Square, which I must've been lost because I do everything in my power to avoid actually walking Looking through Times Square. Looking for a cupcake, trying to find Dear, that cupcake. Probably. I ventured mm-hmm. off the beaten path. And he's like, I was too afraid to reach out or just like stop you and say hi. And I was like, please stop me mm-hmm. because you probably know where the French fries are. Um, but please <laughs> stop me. Ask me anything. Like, So for me, social media is great for that stuff. It's also utterly terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also, you can't measure anything by that. Because mm-hmm. in the same way that someone can like something, they can also unlike it. And it's yeah. just, all it is is going to cause cause carpal tunnel. You can't base anything in that. It's not real. Yeah. Um, but for scrapbooking and yeah. messaging, and sometimes I guess access to st- to sheet music. Mm-hmm. That's what it's can. for. You've named the good things Instagram is good for. That's it. Yeah. Um. What about you mentioned? You know, some of these conversations of of EDI conversations and mm-hmm. and different things that have emerged, especially from the pandemic. Though, of course, the, there's mm-hmm. been that fertile ground for years of of where they've been planted. Um. What has your experience been? You know, especially now in late 2022, mm-hmm. have you felt more? progress from those conversations have you started to feel some some pushback or different you know uh, we i've recently been talking a little with some friends where they're saying like oh now i feel like i'm getting more blowback from like oh well here's more of this or whatever as opposed to like the thing itself it's like we we jumped right to the trump after the obama or whatever you can't you can't go all the way anywhere and you especially can't go there with just one thing in mind you know Mm -hmm. you it the the one thing i keep coming back to is that it takes everybody i I'm very interested in everyone's story. So I hope you are too. I find it interesting when I, I come out of the front of the theater at night, not just because it's it's easier for me to get to the subway that way, but because I also like to see how people have been affected by the show and to talk mm-hmm. to them. And there's a lot of people who I see it in them. I see when they're coming in, they're like, I'm just going to go and support the black Mm -hmm. gay show. I'm not black. I'm not gay, but I'm Mm -hmm. just going to go support it. And then they sit through it and they're like, afterwards, they're so moved because they're like, oh my God, I have a family Uh and they're just like that. They have families too. (laughs) There's, um, I, Michael refers to the show oftentimes as both a mirror and a window. Uh So you can see yourself in it and you can kind of peek over the fence and be like, Uh oh, well, look at that. You know they got families? Did you hear uh-huh. that? So it's really a beautiful thing to remember. It takes 
everybody. You can't do this thing called theater or called art and called creation and exclude anybody. Uh-huh. You can't exclude anybody. So I want people to, it's a shame that people can't come backstage anymore and see the absolute like rainbow coalition of everybody that it takes to put mm-hmm. on one performance of this show. Mm-hmm. This show was written decades before anybody started talking about like woke anything. Mm-hmm. But I, it's so funny that certain singularly myopically focused people will talk about this woke musical. And mm-hmm. no, this was never, that was never the intention. Never. And it, um, it doesn't feel like it is. I mean, it feels like it is a very no. specific story, which it's is, just you know, a the specific, specific story. becomes universal, but yeah. they, it certainly doesn't feel like a show with an agenda of like, no, no, you know, but beyond, there are I want to tell who, the story. Yeah. So I think the biggest takeaway is that it takes everybody. Mm. So like you can get stuck on the word diversity and feel like you've done a disservice to someone. So you must include only, um, mm-hmm. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Just because you have felt excluded, you're not going to take any power by making someone else feel excluded just because you want them to feel how you felt. That's not helpful for what we're trying to do here. So true. Um, All right. My last question I'm going to throw you is just if we could give a little bit of advice to a young artist, maybe not even that young of an artist, Mm -hmm. but someone who's on their path on that journey saying, I'm 45, I'm going to make my Broadway debut, Mm -hmm. or I'm going to, you know, I want to be an artist like the great James Jackson Jr. Um, What would that advice be? Find your collaborators right now. They're there. They're always there. I, I was thinking, I was having a conversation the other day on, on Facebook with um, a girl who her and her husband were both in the music department with me at Westfield in the Mm nineties. And I met them in like the practice rooms Someone was a, she was a soprano. The husband was like a Barry Sachs player. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were just in practice rooms late at night. Someone is in a practice room next to you, in a dorm next to you, in the apartment next to you. And they just wrote like eight bars of something. Mm -hmm. And they want to hear it for the first time. Go sing it for them. Mm. Someone wrote a couple, like a scene. Go read it for them. You want to try something out? Call someone and be like, hey, listen to this. In this day and age, we can do it over Zoom. We can do mm-hmm. it over whatever. Find your collaborators and be good to them and be good with them. Like, mm-hmm. let them be, let, fail in front of them, but find them and, and collaborate with them now. Because every time you come home from something, there's going to be a Michael R. Jackson. Every time you come home from something, there's going to be a space where they're like, no, no, just come as you are. Uh-huh. Every time you come home from the, the gig you didn't want to do or the job you hate or the waiting tables or the whatever, there's going to be a someone who's like, no, no, what would you do? Uh-huh. Go to that place. I love it. And it does seem like you also have had such a yes and sort of fill in attitude just from the stories you've told. You fill in yeah, from, yeah. from Melissa, you fill in for someone who drops out of a strange loop and then all of a sudden it's a 13 yeah. year collaboration that, you know, that you have you, to. That's some beautiful yesing too. If you don't, you're really just probably going to be sitting at home coming up with yeah. percentages of what you do. <laughs> not the percentages, not the percentages. It's um, recent. It's I'm trying to stay current. Yeah, That's no, it's very current. Do. You're very smart. I'm like a buzzword. I love it. We're, we're going to, you know, yeah, it's going to be aggregated for us on the pod. We love it. <laughs> um, do you have any, so I know you have that green room 42 thing coming up. Um, yes. Is there anything else you want to plug that you want people to, to where they want to check them out? 
that's the thing I'm most focused on right now. I'm doing a show at the Green Room 42 on November 7th at 9.30. And it's the first time I've done one of these in a very long time. So I'm lightly terrified. We'll have the link to that for sure. We'll have your Facebook and Twitter and and your Yay. Instagram, which are all fake accounts, but we'll have them all on the thing. None of it's real, but we'll They're have them. Bots, so I swear. You. They're all bots. Yeah. But like, reach out to me or like, come see the show. You can live stream the show too. It's, yeah, James I'm will give you free sheet music apparently. It's great. And you can probably get free sheet music. Yeah. Um, but I'm doing it because I haven't done one in a very long time, and I miss the sound of ice clinking in people's glass. Mm. Um, I miss the scent of French fries while I'm singing. Mm. And it's also it's <laughs> during the week of what would have been my mom's 80th birthday. So I'm mm. kind of doing it. For, she was at the very first one of these I ever did, mm. and she's been with me a lot during A Strange Loop. I'd like, I have a ring of hers that I wore to the Tonys that I sometimes wear on stage, and I also place her in the audience every night. Um, so I'm doing this for what would have been her 80th birthday. That's so beautiful. Um, we love it, James. We love it. I feel like we need to cut out some of the French fry references unless we're going to run ads for Target <laughs> and French fries. There's not Look, too many of them in the if, pod. If but... Target could find a way, I mean, there's French something. fries? <laughs> Bullseye. It's a million dollar I idea. Mean... Um, James, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Charlie. E-I-E-I-O. There he is, the great James Jackson Jr. Um, so much good stuff we could do for takeaways from this episode. I really like the conversation about type and what he learned from doing cabaret. I mean, so often that's what we talk about in the college process of kind of putting together a show of you in the material you choose. Um, but I do feel like we've hit on that a lot in past episodes. And certainly we could talk about like the work ethic aspect of it. I think there's something really interesting there, but we're at Absolutely going to hit that. I think it's either in the next episode or another one coming up where we're going to talk a lot about work ethic. So I'm, I'm going to hold off on that and do maybe a little bit more of a practical takeaway um, and just talk a little bit about survival jobs or some people call them thrival jobs um, or just a source of income if you want to think of it that way, however you want to name it. Um, I think this is clearly an area where everyone is going to have a vastly different take. And, and that's right to me, right? I mean, I think that with anything that is like closely related to how are you going to successfully live your life, there is far from one take or one way to do things that will apply to everyone. However, I think it's something that everyone should deeply consider as they are charting their path and maybe just as important, continually re-examine once they get to a New York City or LA or wherever they're going and you're at a different point in your career to just re-examine, is this still the right job for me at this moment, right? What maybe worked for you when you're 23, maybe not as good for you when you're 27 and you're a different moment in your career, right? Like, I think principally many people consider waiting tables, and I think that's a perfectly good thing to, to think about, but I think it's just worth thinking, like, am I okay waiting tables at this moment because... You know, it's I'm I'm so young and so whatever that I'm okay staying up till three a.m. and I'm still gonna go to those open calls since I'm only you know working three days a week and I can you know sleep I make it up to sleep the next day or whatever. Some people are like that, or you know if you're that young person who's going out anyway, just because you're not waiting tables, would you actually be going to bed early and then getting up for that open call, or are you just out carousing and not making money? Um, and it also depends on what you need to do vocally and physically as an auditioner, right? Depending on your own body and your reaction to sleep, this could be really different for different people. Um, I do very well on very little sleep for one night, but then terribly when I'm sleep deprived for a long time. So I know for me, it was like, I can do, I can do it once as long as I can then sleep for like 12 hours the next day. Um, so to that end, an office job, like what James had, 
that might make sense for, for you. I mean, a lot of people choose like temp work over choosing the service industry, even though you're not going to make as much money as a temp, but you're going to have those reliable hours and that flexibility and a little bit more stability even over the more remunerative job. In both of those examples, though, there's also something really nice about the ability to easily leave those jobs if you book, right? Uh, James talked about that with his ticketing job. You know, even though he was in this cool management position, he was able to leave when he booked, right? Interesting to compare that with that SAG job that he had in Boston, which if he hadn't been laid off, might have meant he never moved to New York City, right? Which leads me to the only kind of principal wisdom that I'll throw at you um, that I'm going to pass on to your listeners to do with what you will. Um, and this is something that was said in school to me, and I heard it a couple different times, but I really didn't fully understand it until I left, which is this. When it comes to your survival job, you don't want to hate it too much and you don't want to love it too much. And of course, the hate part is obvious, right? If you hate your job, you're generally going to be miserable. But the other side of it, I think, is interesting. If you really love what you're doing that is not acting, it is really easy to get stuck in when the hard parts of this business can get really hard, right? If you have this awesome job in, let's say, advertising, you're like doing this great advertising job and you know, you're getting this fun, creative input in your life and getting lots of respect from your colleagues, it can be really, really hard to work your schedule around skipping a day so you can go wait in that McDonald's bathroom with Canova Johnson, right? The value in a job that you like but don't love is that just like renting an apartment, it is easy to get out, sublet, grab someone else's place, right? It gives you that kind of flexibility, which in the early years of your career is so, so important. You know, what if you want to do this tour that maybe isn't going to pay a ton of money, but it might be the thing that then leads to the Broadway thing, right? If you can never leave New York City because of your amazing side job, it's just that much tougher to do that. All right, now here's the huge pile of salt I give with this advice because this is very much a do what I say and not what I do situation. I am very much someone who has been in love with his side job since day one, right? I knew I loved teaching since I was 17, 18 years old. And while I might not have known what this would grow into exactly, I knew I wanted to try and support myself teaching and that it gave me a joy that was equal to acting. And definitely it was tough for a lot of years, especially with the administrative and leadership responsibilities I was taking on. There are times I would be in tech till 1 a.m. and then I'd be going home and entering payroll for our coaches at 2 a.m. in the morning, which God forbid, I hope I didn't make too many you know, math errors there. And without a doubt, as MTCA grew and my responsibilities in it continue to grow, I have turned down multiple good regional theater and sometimes off-Broadway jobs that just didn't make sense for my time investment and especially, you know, what I wanted for in, in my life. Now, if I were going to give advice to myself and presupposing that the only thing that we're factoring in was success in this specific industry, I would say those are poor career decisions. But of course, that is not the only factor that matters in your life. And as you think about your future, the same way that I would advise our students that aren't, you aren't making a college decision solely based on your highest percentage chance of succeeding in this specific industry, of course you want to factor in your holistic life. Actors will often use a rubric when deciding to take or not take a job, you may have heard this before, uh, of whether it does something for your career, for your finances, or for your artistic soul, right? You'll hear people will phrase it a little differently, but, but that's basically the idea of those three things. Does it help your acting career? Does it help you really help you out financially? Or does it help you, know, you artistically? It's something you really dream and want to do. And the general rule of thumb is that every job should give you at least two out of those three, which I'll maybe add the caveat that like, if it's really off the charts in one of the categories, then you might be able to make that argument still. But it, otherwise, generally, it's hit two out of three. And as I think, as you think about your survival job, 
I think a, a good side job, if you're thinking of it that way, should ideally allow you to make those decisions with as much flexibility as possible. So ideally, you don't ever want to have to take an acting job only for the finances. That does happen where people have to. But if you're in such a tough financial state, you know, but that you take a job that's not feeding your soul and it's not necessarily helping your career or doing something new, those jobs just quickly turn brutal. I think it's, it, it takes something that you love to do, which is acting, and can easily turn into this commercial thing that I think uh, often for many people mean, mean, gets them out of the business. Like, I hate doing this. I thought I loved singing. I thought I loved acting and, and they don't there. But also ideally your side job wouldn't stop you from doing some awesome artistic job that feeds your soul and could have your career prospects, but that doesn't help you out financially. Like a strange loop, if you're James Jackson, to work on it for 13 years, even if the money isn't quite there yet, you would want your side job to be able to help support you so you can make that cool artistic decision. You can make that cool um, career decision for you. That to me, I think is a really good side job setup. If it can nourish you enough and be interesting for you when the acting jobs aren't there, interesting enough for you, comfortable enough financially that you aren't scraping the bottom of the barrel, that you're not sort of forced to make tough acting decisions, and flexible enough that you can make career decisions for yourself without overly factoring your side job, that it's not actually pulling you into something where you go, oh, maybe I'm not going to take that job because that's just going to be so inconvenient with my management at this restaurant or whatever the, the job ends up being. And then, of course, it goes without saying this will be a different takeaway. There's a whole other path if you want to talk about your side job being a kind of parallel passion, which I think is super exciting and, you know, a little bit more of what my path was. But you do have to recognize when you have those parallel passions, they may feed each other and be helpful, but they also can take from each other at times, right? They often are not going to run in straight parallel. They're going to be wending and weaving and smashing into each other's and you're sort of riding the bucking bronco of your different passions and, and where your careers are taking you in this kind of odd juggling act. Speaking of juggling, I hope you all have the most wonderful Thanksgivings. Whether your dinner table involves juggling politics or juggling sides, we're here for all of it. And as we said at the beginning, grateful to you, our wonderful audience, whether or not you've chosen to rate and review us, though of course you should, or if you follow us on various social media platforms, I don't really care that much if you do. Um, but of course, if you're a young person, you, we would love, we could help you out with your college edition journey. You can check us out at mtca.nyc. And as I mentioned at the top, all of our listeners can hit us up with comments and questions for the mailbag. That's at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com. Mapping the college edition are all those words. Mailbag is the word mail and then bag. Mail, not as in a gender, but as an M-A-I-L-B-A-G. Never spelled that out. I don't think I actually had to. That was mostly for comedy. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, beware those dreaded percentages. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 
America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.